Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Amen. Let's pray. God, that's why we've come to this moment now to hear the call of Christ, our captain. So we come to your word. We come to your inerrant, infallible, inspired truth. Inspired, breathed out by God. Help us today as we hear your word, as we listen, that we would hear your voice, that we would feel and know the breath of your spirit through it and on us today. We thank you that you would stoop down to speak to us. And we humbly ask that in this time you would allow us to listen. You would open our hearts and our minds and stop our ears with all the junk of the world to hear your voice today. Speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated, and as you do, turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. For those of you that maybe haven't done this yet, you can access the sermon notes or what we call the sermon notes. It's really just an outline through the sermon. You can access that through the Bible app. If you have the Bible app on your phone or tablet, uh, usually it is the version app that is the first one that people get. If you go there and go to the menu and go to events, this event right now, Sunday morning sermon, March 27th, should show up there and you can follow along with those notes. I'd encourage you all, as I do often, to get a copy of God's Word for yourself a uh, copy of God's written word that you can open up and hold in your lap and read. I love that we have the opportunity to put scripture on the screen and on your phones, and that's wonderful. But when you have a Bible in front of you, you see where the book is in the Bible, and you think, well, that's not so important. Oh, but it is, because it tells us if it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you can see what's before and what's coming after. You can turn those pages to other scriptures and see how from the very beginning to the very end, it all ties together. So get yourself a hard copy of God's Word. Bring that with you so I hear that wonderful sound of pages ruffling as you turn your Bibles. Tonight, I want to invite you back at 530 for our PM service. Again, this is not a gathering of small groups. We put small groups on hold for this night, and we come together for corporate evening worship service. That will be tonight at 530 here in the sanctuary. I also want to welcome my grandma and my mom here. Um, she was, my grandma was really good today. She is not a quiet Baptist, but she, she behaved herself today. So afterwards, 
We'll see if it lasts through the rest of the service. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to read today just five verses as we have this week and next week to conclude our uh, series in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter takes a turn here as we conclude with a pointed message for pastors and the rest of the local church, the rest of the flock. And as I was beginning to read and study this passage this week, uh, a meme came to mind. For those of you who don't know what a meme is, it is just a funny picture that people put on social media, oftentimes with some sort of caption that just captures exactly what you're thinking or what you're feeling about a certain topic, and it puts this picture to it. And this particular picture, uh, it's on the version notes. I didn't put it up here because I didn't want to be distracting to you. But the picture is Johnny Depp uh, portraying Jack Sparrow or Captain Jack Sparrow from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He's running away from a bunch of natives on a beach, and he looks panicked and frazzled. And, you know, it's from the movie, but a, a, a quote that someone has attached to it is, be a pastor, they said. And on the bottom it says, it'll be fun, they said, as he's running away from a group of angry natives. And it's funny, but it's too often true that disrepute has either been brought on the office by the pastor himself through scandals that are too many to count, abuse, physical, spiritual, sexual, moral failures of pastors that have slipped into sin, never to return to ministry, some even having left the faith. Maybe it's a lack of care on behalf of a pastor or a lack of feeding from God's word on behalf of a pastor. But disrepute has also been brought upon the office by churches. When churches sin by mistreating their pastors. When churches refuse to follow godly pastors. When complaining overtakes prayer and support and encouragement. When bitterness takes over love when expectations are too high and we expect everything of our ministers and our pastors that maybe we as the church and the local body should also be doing. Too many times, this relationship between pastor, pastors, and the congregation goes off the rails because a shepherd either refuses to be a good shepherd or sheep refuse to be good sheep. When pastors refuse to pastor well or the people of the church refuse to submit in love and humility and grace. And it's a travesty because no matter who messes up in the situation, it brings disrepute on the office of the pastor and it brings disrepute to the local church. And ultimately, it brings a bad name upon the gospel and upon Jesus himself. You know churches and towns where it is known they are that church that fights, that quarrels, that splits, that kicks out their pastors, that kicks out their deacons, that hates their church people. Whatever it is that you've heard, you know those churches. You have experience with those churches. And not only does that fall upon those churches, it falls upon the gospel and the name of the Lord Jesus himself. And in those cases, believers are hurt. Men leave the ministry. Churches split. And the gospel, while it can never be defeated, is nevertheless distracted from and hidden because of what usually amounts to nothing more than preferences and opinions and, dare I say, politics. 
Peter, more than anything, wants believers to shine as lights. We've seen that time and time again, haven't we? You are elect exiles in a land that is not your home. What are we supposed to do here? Do nothing? No. Shine as lights to the gospel. Be an example of Christ. Shine the light of Christ into a dark and a confused world so that other people are attracted to Jesus and to his word. Peter, in the last couple of weeks, has applied this to our personal lives, whether it's our personal relationship to the state, submitting to governing authorities, in our jobs, as we submit to those in authority over us, as we govern Christian homes with loving Christian wives, submitting to loving, godly Christian husbands. We've seen this theme now in the local church. Last week, beginning with our service in the local church, using your gifts and discovering your gifts to serve one another in the local church. And this week, we kind of conclude all that with this look at congregations and their pastors, faithful shepherds and humble sheep. And I hope that if a meme were to be made of First Baptist Church Dumas today or in the years to come, it would not be one of Jack Sparrow running away from natives, angry natives at that, but it would be a faithful shepherd looking over humble sheep, leading them to safe pasture and still waters. Look in 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 5. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Just two points today that correspond exactly with the title of the message, Faithful Shepherds and Humble Sheep. Number one, in those first four verses today, Faithful Shepherds. You'll notice that this passage begins with the word so. Could be like, therefore, now that we've seen all of this, now that you understand how you are to behave as Christians in this fallen world, now that you see how you're to behave as exiles in this foreign country with submission and love and obedience and humility. So, after we've learned all that, after we've been commanded how to live and how to obey, look at this. He says, so, you elders, he appeals to the pastors of local churches, the pastors of the churches that would read this letter all the way down 2,000 years to today writing to me, to Pastor Matt, to Pastor Zane, saying, elders, listen up. Because of everything that you've heard so far, now do this. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You elders, get to work teaching this to your people. Get to work modeling this for your people. 
This is a summons from Peter. That's what an exhortation is. That's not just an encouragement. It's a summons. It's a call. It's a command that's to be obeyed. Peter's saying, come now, do this. You know what to do. You know how to live. Now pastors get to work teaching this and modeling this for your people to follow. It's a command from God to his apostle, to his pastors, his under shepherds saying, do your job and fulfill your calling. It's an interesting word Peter uses in verse 1 when he calls pastors elders. You'll be familiar, I think, with where we get some of the derivatives of this word. The Greek word is presbyteros. Presbyteros. And if you are familiar with Presbyterian churches, they get their title from that Greek word. Because in Presbyterian churches, some Baptist churches, but every Presbyterian church, you'll not only have a single pastor, but you will have multiple pastors called elders. Presbyteros, Presbyterian. And the title goes all the way back to Numbers chapter 11. You remember when Moses was overburdened with the task of leading all the people and Jethro, his father-in-law, pulled him aside and said, you don't need to do this by yourself. You need a company of others. And so Moses, through the Holy Spirit, picks out 70 elders to help him lead the people. It was applied to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of Judaism by the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders of the Jewish people. And the apostles by the Holy Spirit pull that term, same idea, a group of people leading a larger group of people, and apply it to leaders in the Christian church. And the word didn't necessarily have anything to do with age. If you remember Paul writing to Timothy and Titus, we assume they are younger men. In fact, he tells Timothy, don't be intimidated because of your age. Don't let the older people in your church, Timothy, intimidate you as their pastor because of your youth and because of your inexperience. Rather, be a good example and lead with humility and service. So it's not about age necessarily, but it's about office. It's about calling. That someone who is called to be an elder in the local church is called to a high calling to lead and to shepherd the people of God. Now, when we see this title, we see many other titles also. In fact, even in this passage here, if you look at it, we have a f- elders among you. There's that word elders. But verse 2 says, shepherd the flock of God and also to exercise oversight. All of these are verb or noun forms of different titles for the same New Testament office. In fact, the New Testament gives us several different names for all kinds of offices in the church. We see the word elder as here. We see the word overseer. We see the word bishop. We see the word shepherd. We see the word deacon. All of these titles for various offices and service in the church. But with all those words we see that the offices really boil down to only two. Lots of different words, but two offices. And you can see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Well, what are the two offices? Elder and deacon. And under that umbrella of elder is all of those other terms. Whether you're talking about an elder or a bishop or an overseer or a shepherd or a pastor, all those words are the same word for the same office. And Peter is talking about that one office here. And he uses all the words. He uses the word presbyteros, which means elder. He uses the Greek word episkopos, which means overseer, from which we get our English word 
bishop, like Episcopalian churches are governed by bishops, episkopos. And he uses the word poimen, which means shepherd. Latin would have used the word pastor. When you hear some classical music, you'll see that it's so-and-so's pastoral symphony. Doesn't mean it's about preachers. It means it's, it's, it brings to mind scenes and landscapes of sheep grazing safely in a pasture. That's a pastoral sound, a pastoral view that has to do with shepherds and sheep. So when the New Testament uses the word elder, shepherd, overseer, bishop, poyman, whatever it uses, it's talking about one office that we have traditionally referred to as pastors, but could be elders or anything else. And then there is the secondary office of deacon which is an office and a ministry of service in the local church. Pastors, elders, bishops, interchangeable term for the same office. Peter says, as an apostle, I am an elder too. Peter says, as a fellow elder. Now, as we read from Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus gave the church apostles as authority over all the church. So Peter is not just an elder, in a sense, for a local church. Peter, as an apostle, holds authority over all the churches, as did all the other apostles, including the apostle Paul. Having been eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord, Jesus fills them with his spirit and anoints them in a different way to be authority in the church, to write scripture for the church in a way that other pastors and other elders never did and never will again. That was a different role. So he writes to us pastors, Zane, myself, Matt, and every other local church pastor, he writes to us, as it were, as to under shepherds. And Peter says, I was a firsthand witness of Jesus' suffering and his death. He said, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ but I also beheld his glory. Peter, unlike some of the other apostles, was able to see the transfiguration of the Lord on the mountain. He saw the glory of Christ firsthand, not just then, but in his resurrection, as did all the other apostles. And he uses this as sort of a template. I saw his death and his suffering. I saw his glory and his life and his resurrection And then he uses this to sort of show us what we ought to do as pastors. And he's been saying this all along, hasn't he? You must first suffer with Christ before you reign with Christ. You must first be crucified to yourself before you are raised to newness of life in him. Jesus says, Peter says, we're called to both. Yes, glory resurrection, the empty tomb, but not before the cross, not before death, not before suffering. And so Peter, as it were, is saying to under shepherds like me, remember this pattern and don't get it backwards. Suffer with Christ, bear your cross, carry the burden, and the joy and the glory will come later. So many so-called pastors, whether it's in their ministry or in their life, seek after that which is comfortable. Pastors who seek after that which is easy, pain-free. Whether it comes to preaching controversial doctrines, whether it comes to preaching controversial biblical passages in our day. So many pastors have looked 
at maybe a passage on gender or sexuality or marriage and said, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not touching that. Or they've taken an issue like church discipline and dealing openly with sin in the church so as to purify the body, said, oh, no, I don't want to make anybody mad. And so many pastors take this back road of comfort and ease and no pain. But what that ministry reflects is not real life. That ministry reflects an idealized life. It reflects make-believe, a world that is perfect, a church that is perfect, people that are perfect, when we know that we're not. So many what we call celebrity pastors show up, give a generic spiritual talk, and you can find all of these online, and we'll see you next week. Here's a nice little pat on the, the back, and good game, and go back at it for another week, and we'll see you next week, uh, but not a moment before. And there's a needed reminder when we slip into this way of thinking as pastors, who is the shepherd? Who is the great shepherd? Who is the good shepherd? And what did he do for us? Did he seek a life of comfort and ease, painlessness? Did he avoid confronting sin? Did he avoid confronting even his own disciples in their sin? No. Did he avoid the cross? No. He embraced it. And as we come back into focus of who the real shepherd is, Peter says, you as under shepherds ought to do as he did. To be willing to suffer, to bear the cross of ministry, and to humble yourself in submission and obedience before God. So I want to apply this to everybody, not just pastors here. This is directed at pastors, so I'll start with us, Zane and Pastor Matt and myself. But to our deacons also as leading servants in our church, and to all of us all together. Are you, are we seeking glory for yourself now? Are you seeking notoriety for yourself now, forgetting the war to chase after ease, forgetting the fight to chase after comfort? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that Jesus knew the joy that was set before him. He was aware of the glory that would come later. But that's what he kept in mind as he endured the cross. And what Peter says here is very similar to that. As a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker in the glory, but look at this wording, that is going to be revealed. Jesus endured the cross knowing the glory and the joy that was going to be his. So too, we as pastors and deacons, leaders, Christians are called to embrace the cross and to endure the cross now, knowing the glory that may not be ours now, but is going to be revealed when we see Jesus. And if we ever begin to think that it's time for our glory, our praise, our exaltation right here and right now, we forget the war, we forget the fight, and we forget what we're called to do. We forget who we are as elect exiles, outcasts in this world. 
So Jesus would tell us, Peter would tell us, yes, look to glory, look to Jesus, keep your eyes there, keep your joy and your gaze there on that hope that is imperishable and defiled and unfading, even as you take up your cross here to follow him. Now, verse 2 tells us what elders and pastors are called to do. With one simple command, shepherd the flock of God. They shepherd, notice, God's flock. Notice, the flock is whose? The flock is God's. Pastors, elders, bishops, overseers, whatever you want to call them, are but keepers of God's flock. They belong to him. And he has simply given us the stewardship and trusted us to protect and to feed and to lead his sheep. It's interesting, interesting when people talk about pastors and they say, your flock, your flock there. And then people mean nothing by it. And in a sense, it's true. We're called to be shepherds of a flock that is under our care, our flock. But in another way, you want to stop them and say, no, no, it's not my flock. I am merely tending God's flock. Pastors in the local church, any local church, shepherds, are entrusted by God with his sheep. And we should remember what those sheep cost him. Acts 20, verse 28. This is God's flock which he purchased with his own blood. What did Peter say in 1 Peter 1.19? That we've been ransomed, that means brought, bought back, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with what? With the precious blood of Christ. The church is God's flock, purchased with his own blood. That's a high cost. And so the church of God, the flock of God, has a high worth. And for some reason, he's chosen men like Zane, me, Matt, countless millions of others throughout history to keep care and to keep watch over that precious flock. I think it's why one of the reformers, John Knox, said, I never trembled for the devil. The devil, the devil never made me tremble, John Knox said. But I tremble every time I come to the pulpit. Because this is God's place. This is God's word. This is God's food for God's people. And it's given to us to do it well. To feed well. To lead well. So often pastors are tempted to see the church as their business not like it's their business, but their business. That they're the CEO of their own thing to do with as they please. And so it's not uncommon to go into a Christian bookstore or go to a Christian bookstore online and see books about pastoring that have a lot more to do with modern marketing schemes and commercialism than it does actually shepherding God's people. You know, pastors tempted to see churches as their business with them as the CEO, not shepherds, not teachers, not overseers, but managers. 
bosses, CEOs and CFOs with a business to run. And you know what happens when churches slip into that mindset? We no longer are a flock of God being tended to by under shepherds, under the great shepherd, but we become a business. And people are no longer the flock of God, but they're a mere commodity to be attracted, to be traded, to be used to accomplish what? The purpose of God? No, the purpose of the CEO, to make more money and to have more success. Rather than seeing people as precious sheep, children who belong to God, purchased by the blood of Jesus, they become nothing more than something to be traded and sold and bought. And if we're going to have a change in our perspective of pastoral ministry in local churches and in uh, the Christian world altogether, we need to begin to think these are not my people, not my sheep, not my church, not my business, but the household of God, the bride of Christ, the sheep of his pasture over which he is the good shepherd. And so the command comes for pastors to obey this high calling willingly. Peter says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, as if someone's dragging you to do it, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And I think that's one of the telltale signs of someone who has that inward call to pastoral ministry. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, professor from England, said it that way too. You cannot help to do anything else. You can't help but preach. When you can't help but teach, you can't help but be of the business of the church. He said that's one of the many signs, but a big sign of a calling into pastoral ministry. Like Jeremiah would say, this word is like a fire shut up in my bones that just cannot wait to come out. That is a sign of a calling to pastoral ministry. You cannot help but do it. But sadly for so many, for different reasons, it becomes just a job. Tedious, monotonous with no passion, no drive, no calling. And I think the Holy Spirit would say to such pastors, stop, stop. Maybe for a season, take a sabbatical or something and rejuvenate, get filled back up and, and maybe refresh your calling a little. But it might be stop, you've missed your calling here. Peter says, don't do this begrudgingly, under compulsion. Don't do it just as a job, he says, for shameful gain, to make money for yourself, to make a name for yourself, to make notoriety for yourself. Peter says, you better have the right motives to do this job. And verse 3 kind of complements that. Not begrudgingly, not just as some job to make money and a name for yourself, not just to climb the ladder of importance in the world, Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We see the spirit of this calling and the motive of this calling in verse 3. He says, not domineering, literally not lording it over those 
under your care. Not using your position and your office and your power to lord it over your flock. A phrase has become more used in the last couple years, sadly, to describe something that has probably happened far too often. And that phrase is spiritual abuse. We know what physical abuse is, what sexual abuse is, mental abuse, emotional abuse. We understand those terms. But in the church, there has been a pandemic of spiritual abuse. Using your position in the church, using your high position in a church as a pastor, a deacon, a teacher, a committee member, whatever it is, using a divine calling to exercise a domineering spirit over people that is not helpful to them and is not loving to them, but actually hurts them and diminishes their view of the office of pastor and diminishes their view of the church and maybe even diminishes their view of the gospel and God himself. This is just a confusion, confusion of authority. When pastors exercise this kind of spiritual abuse over their people, it's just a confusion of authority because the pastor has come to think that he has authority in and of and by himself. That by nature of the office of pastor, I am somehow given this authority over God's people. By nature of the office, when nothing could be further from the truth. The confusion of authority comes when we begin to think that it's our authority and not the authority of God's word. A pastor or preacher or church leader has no authority in himself and of himself and by himself, but only that authority which comes by the right teaching, interpretation, and leadership from God's word. So these so-called preachers usurp authority over God's people, And you can watch them preach. You can find it everywhere. You can watch them preach. You can listen to them teach. They might even bring an actual Bible to the pulpit. But they'll read a verse and then travel the entire time, never to return. We call that using the Bible as a springboard. You just use a verse or a text to springboard into whatever you want to talk about rather than what God has said. Preachers all over the place usurping God's authority, looking anywhere and everywhere but the Bible. I want to tell you this morning as your pastor, and I know I speak for Zane and Matt too on this, we have nothing to say apart from this book. We have nothing more to say or to reveal to you apart from this book. And as soon as I claim to have something to say beyond this book, or Zane or Matt or anyone else that we might call a pastor or a teacher here at our church, as soon as someone says, I have something aside from the Bible to say, fire them. Fire me. Kick them out and get them as far away from this place as possible. Because the office of pastor is not about unquestioning obedience to that man. It is about submission to God's word. 
as that man rightfully explains and teaches and applies not his own thoughts and opinions, but God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. And that should be our prayer every week. God, we love our pastor. Hopefully you do. We love Matt. Make his sermon shorter, please. But get him out of the way. Get him out of the way. And let us hear you. That's why before I preach, I pray what's called a prayer of illumination. This is your word. These are your people. You speak. You speak. That's what we need. Get us out of the way and let us hear, let us see God. Peter says this should not just be in word, though. It should be an example, too. Be examples to the flock, he says. Teach right, preach right, but also let your deeds and your living be right. How many pastors make shipwreck of their churches, make shipwreck of their faith and their people's faith sometimes because of pure hypocrisy? Just pure hypocrisy. The Greek word comes from someone who wears a mask. That there's something else under what you see. So that what you see isn't the real person, but there's something else going on behind. And how many churches and ministries and pastors and lives and families have been wrecked because of just pure hypocrisy? And so Peter says, set a pattern for your people, not just to hear, but to follow. A path for the sheep to walk in. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But you see that pattern there. Their first must be the pastor's imitation of Christ. In thought, in word, in deed, there must be a pattern that he is following in order that we as the sheep may also follow. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.16 to a young pastor Timothy in Ephesus, Pay close attention, he says. Pay close attention to how you live and to your teaching. It's not one or the other, it's both. Pay close attention, Timothy, to your doctrine, to your teaching, to your preaching, but also to your living. Because the salvation of your people depends on it, and yours does too. Eternity hangs in the balance for people under a pastor. And so the question for me as I preached this to myself the last two weeks, preparing a couple weeks in advance, and the message to Pastor Zane and Pastor Matt and to all of us, the question is, what pattern are you laying down? Is it one that will lead people to Jesus through the truth? Or is it your own path that will just leave you and your people lost and wandering? Now, I want you this morning as the congregation here to immediately apply this to us as your pastors. But I also want to ask you this morning, what can you do in that regard? Well, you can, and I know this sounds just so obvious, but you can pray for us. You can pray for us as your pastors, even when you're mad at us or disagree with us or don't like something that we said or maybe we neglected to do something that we should have done. 
before the criticisms come, before the complaining comes, before the arguing comes, maybe just take a moment and pray for us. We forget. We neglect just like every one of us. I'm not saying don't call us on our faults. Do. Hold us accountable. But pray first. Pray for us to be faithful in truth as we teach the Bible, as we exercise discipline over the people of God. Peter gives us this warning that there's this time coming when the great shepherd will appear. And hopefully there will be a crown of righteousness, a reward for us, not just us as pastors, but all of us. Pray for that day. Encourage us. I'm not asking for empty compliments to me or to Zane or to Matt. None of us want flattery. And encouragement sometimes doesn't even have to be a compliment. It can be, I'm praying for you. I love you. Whatever you're going on, going through this week, I am praying for you. That's encouragement. Encourage your pastors. Support your pastors. You can support your pastors by holding them in high regard, by praising them, not just to their faces, but publicly in front of others that are listening, your family, your friends that may not be part of our church here. Remember your calling to help us remember our calling. And as you do that, maybe you should remember to whom we will give an account. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should be teachers, knowing that those who aspire to be a teacher will have a higher judgment. As you think about us, remember the sobering weight that pastors carry. Help them remember that burden and help them carry it. Pray for, pray for us to be faithful in our doctrine and our teaching and our preaching. Pray for churches around the world and our community that they would have godly pastors that preach the truth and stand for truth. There's just a pure blinding mess in many churches today because of so many who have forgotten whose they were and what they were. And you can pray for First Baptist Church Dumas to be an example and a pattern of what a faithful shepherd and faithful shepherds look like. Number two, very briefly, and just one verse, verse five, humble sheep. Notice I, I put the heavier preaching today on us as pastors, and now you get sort of the tail end application of it. Now to you, church. Peter says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You are charged with holding us accountable and reminding us of who we are, what our calling is, but you need to receive your calling too. Just as those who are younger should submit to those who are older in age... All of us in the church must understand our role in the church and submit to those to whom God has given leadership in the church. And listen very carefully, it's conditional. As your shepherds, as your pastors lead in truth, in love, and in grace, you are called to honor them, to submit to them, 
to love them. Hebrews 13, 17 puts it to the church this way. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. That would be of no advantage to you. We don't like those words. Again, it goes back to when we started this household code and the state and the home. We don't like submission. We don't like obedience. But God's word calls God's people to submit to and to obey God's leaders in the church. And again, this is not unquestioning obedience. But as those leaders lead in truth and grace and kindness and lead you to Jesus, submit to and obey them. Remember their calling and their high responsibility and let them, let us lead you, Hebrews says, without groaning or complaining. And one of the classic preacher tricks here is to ask who's groaning and who's complaining. And the answer is yes. No matter who's groaning or who's complaining, the pastors or the congregation, it shouldn't be happening. And so Hebrews says, let them do their job and fulfill their calling with joy. Because listen, that's of advantage to you. Grumpy pastors with grumpy people are no advantage to anybody. But joyful pastors with joyful sheep are an advantage to not just their church, but their whole community. So many churches stink of death because of this. Because for whatever reason, maybe good reasons, distrust has gained a foothold. Arrogance has gained a foothold. And so you have pastors versus deacons and deacons versus pastors, and deacons versus the committees, and committees versus deacons, and committees versus pastors, and pastors versus people, and however else churches have quarreled and split and fought, you see a body that is not working together. You see a body who is not using God's given roles and God's given gifts, but a body that has turned against itself, and your own physical body should be a testament to you about what a terrible thing that is for your own body to turn against you. Pastors, this is not our kingdom. Deacons, this is not your kingdom. Teachers, this is not your kingdom. Your Sunday school class is not your kingdom. Committee members, committee leaders, this is not your kingdom. Congregation, this is not your kingdom. This is the church of the living God, purchased with the blood of Christ, and we are the sheep of his pasture, his body, and his bride. He alone is head of his church. So, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, towards your leadership. And just ask yourself this simple, it's a very simple question. And why churches so often just miss this? Do you want God's blessing on our church? Do you want an overflow of God's grace and mercy on our church? Then do this. Be humble, be merciful, 
be kind, be gracious. But here's the other side of that. Look at the end of verse 5. You want to make God your enemy real fast? Be proud. God opposes the proud. You want your church to become a synagogue of Satan and an enemy of God? Be proud. But you want God's grace, his mercy, and his blessing? So simple. Verse 5, be humble. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 3, to count others more significant than yourselves. Whether it's your preference in music, your particular style of music that you just enjoy in church, whether it's your opinions, or maybe convictions about secondary and lower issues of doctrine or theology, preferences about how we do the service, or how we govern our church, preferences, opinions, wonderful to have, but they can also be deadly weapons. And Paul says, let those preferences and those opinions and those other thoughts be subjected to the needs and the opinions of others. Seek God's face, seek God's grace as humble sheep in God's flock. Now, I've only been here a year, almost a year and a half in May. And we have staff, some of which we'll honor today, Zane and, and Kim, Lynette, Barbara, and Pastor Matt's been here five years, but some of our staff have been here 20 plus years. Some of you have been here at this church 20 plus, 40, 50, 60 plus years. You know that our church has had ups and downs. Every church has ups and downs since the beginning. Maybe even since your earliest memories of being at church here, there were ups and downs and conflicts and splits and hurt and pain. But the question we have to stop and ask ourselves today is where are we now? Not where were we in 1985? Not what was going on in 1992? Or what was going down in 2002? Or just a week ago, where are we now? You say, well, we got you, new pastor, just a year and a half here. You should be fixing everything, right? Wrong. I cannot fix everything. I cannot single-handedly fill these pews. I cannot bring us to any form of whatever it is in our imaginations that was the glory days. But there is work to do. There's work for me, work for Zane, work for Matt, work for our deacons, our leadership, and there's work for you too. Start with humility. Check yourselves and your motives and your attitudes by God's word, God's spirit, and the person of the Lord Jesus. Pray for each other. Pray for us. Serve each other. Happy for every bottom that's in every pew. And I'm happy to have bottoms sitting in pews, but sometimes we need to do more than just sit in a pew. We're called to serve each other, to love each other. And listen, you cannot love each other unless you are 
around each other. And as much as I love corporate worship, you are not fellowshipping with each other in here. So please go to Sunday school, find a small group, plug in, serve, and love each other. I don't know what God has in store for First Baptist Church. Maybe years of growth, abundance, prosperity. Listen, I know this is hard. Maybe not. Maybe that is not in his plan. Because we're not here to chase an ideal. To chase numbers or stats or baptism numbers from 50 years ago. We're called to be fishers of men now. We're called to cast the nets now and to let God fill them. We're called to be faithful to what God has called us to do now. To be faithful now to the word. To be faithful now to the gospel. To be faithful now to the great commission. And this is just not a charge for us staff, pastors, deacons, and leaders. It's for all believers, and it's for every single person in this room today. It's for you. So pray for us as we pray for you. Hold us accountable as we hold you accountable. Love us as we love you. Let's see God's grace poured out for our church through faithful shepherds and humble sheep. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.